With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I know out there in the world of podcasts, there are so many choices. I think I've heard a stat that it's approaching 2 million podcasts that have at least been started, uh, although less than a million of them have had a new episode in the last three or four months. But me... I am up to over 650 episodes in six and a half, almost seven years, and we're not stopping anytime soon because this show is my way to talk to really smart people and get some ideas and inspirations on how all of us, no matter what industry we're in, can make some waves, shake things up, and be more successful. And I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to talk a little bit about quantum computing, which most of us probably don't even know what that means. But first, I have to thank the sponsor, Of this episode. So, this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. Full disclosure, I work for Stanton Chase International and I am really proud of that affiliation. All right, so today I have with me on the show Bob Liskowski, and he is the CEO of Quantum Computing, but he has a really eclectic background. And I only am going to touch on a couple things. He started his career as an undercover police officer. So if you think about that, that's kind of an interesting way to to start your career and go. He also spent some time as the Assistant Secretary for Infrastructure Protection at the Department of Homeland Security. And I think all of us wish he was still there because there seems to be a lot of things in the world of Homeland Security where the infrastructure is getting whacked. And so uh, uh, I wish there were uh, he was still there doing that work. But now he runs Quantum Computing, and it's a very cool company. He works with very smart people on some very hard and complicated problems. But more importantly, he's a dad, he's a husband, he owns a farm with horses, and so that's kind of cool too. Hey, Bob, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Oh, no, I appreciate you. So going back, you've had kind of this eclectic career. How did you go from law enforcement uh, on to Homeland Security and now to being the CEO of pretty high-tech tech company? Yeah, so there was no um, no particular design in my career, I can tell you that right now. I started off, in fact, all I knew is when I was in college, uh, my dad wanted me to be in, in business. I started off as an accounting major. And I couldn't have, have, I mean, I respect accountants and people who are in that field. They're tremendous and, and they do great things, but I'm not cut out to be one of them. And I could never see myself sitting behind a desk, you know. So um, I just gravitated toward law enforcement and I, I decided that I thought I could make a contribution and it was a pretty cool job and I just lucked into it. And, um, and you know what? I found out that I found my niche being a problem solver. And when you're working either undercover or any other type of investigative role in law enforcement, 
you're solving problems, right? You're trying to figure things out and you're trying to figure out either who did what. And I had, I, I had time as a homicide detective. So I was fortunate enough to kind of be in that whodunit sort of genre. And um, it's, it was enormously interesting, but what it taught me more than anything was about people and about, you know, it's not the circumstances around you that matter. It's what you make out of those circumstances. So you really have the, I learned a lot in that time frame. It allowed me to be able to figure out and how to define myself as I went along. Um, I, I'd like to say it was a plan. I didn't have any plan at all. I just kind of, you know, fortunate to have a great opportunity in front of me at every turn I took. So then how did you end up, uh, you were at the Department of Homeland Security in the very early yeah. days of that department. I don't That's know right. if 2003 is when it was founded, but it, it couldn't have it been was. founded much before that. No, I was there and I was one of the plank holders and I was lucky to have that job. So I came to it because of my background in, um, in, in, in law enforcement and security in particular. I worked for the Department of State um, and I worked in there. They had something called their Diplomatic Security Service and we were doing work overseas and I uh, was fortunate enough to get sent to uh, Harvard um, and graduate program uh, while I was working for the department. And I had a professor up there that's kind of stuck with me after I graduated. And uh, he was on something called an Intel advanced technology panel for the director of central intelligence. He recruited me on a panel. And um, when I asked him why he needed somebody like my, with my background, I did clearly not an academic or an intellectual thinker because they had a couple of Nobel laureates on that panel he just wanted somebody who could think about the problems that folks were having in the field, you know, operational experience. So I kind of fit that bill. And um, it gave me an opportunity to work with really smart people again on really hard problems, right? I mean, national security types of problems. And that gave me the exposure that I needed to, um, to ultimately get recruited into the department of Homeland security. So it was just, um, again, a series of opportunities. So just a sideline, are we going to see more problems like we saw with the pipeline infrastructure getting hacked uh, in May of 2021? Are we going to see more of that uh, in infrastructure being being hit by terrorists and others? Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's it's certainly not new. Um, that's always been a fear. And when I took that job in, back in 2003, that was one of the biggest fears we had were, you know, supply chain um uh, oil pipelines, you look at things like that that are controlled, particularly on the cyber side. Um, SCADA control systems are one of the biggest vulnerabilities we have, you know, when it comes to um, pipeline and other types of uh, process controls. Um, and they have been targeted by not just terrorist groups, but state-sponsored groups or, or nation states. And uh, yes, we're going to continue to see that. And this is, the cyber domain is one of those areas that's going to continue to be in the forefront of security concerns and business concerns as we get, as we continue to rely on these systems more and more. So as we, as we look at sort of the cyber world, that takes us to where you are now with this whole world yeah. of, of quantum computing. And as I said in the introduction, most people have no idea what quantum computing even means. And I, I you know, I, I have a friend who works with you. And so I've been trying to learn what it means. And even with an active study and watching videos and reading, it's not something that makes sort of instant sense. It's super technical. So can you give us a little overview of, of what is quantum computing and how did you end up at, at this company? Yeah. So, you know, quantum computing, what it is, is, you know, as a domain, is a completely different genre of computer technology, right? So on the classical computing space, you've got, you know, things controlled by ones and zeros, right? It's a pretty linear approach, right? It can be on, you can be off, and you can just kind of string those things together and you come up with computer programs. 
And you can do some really interesting things with those things, parallel processing, all sorts of stuff that can get done in a very complex way, but it reaches a limit. And it's not just about Moore's law. It's really about the ability to, you know, really the, the tough types of computational problems that people really want to try to solve go beyond the limits of what conventional and classical computing can really do. So you think about problems like, you know, the classical one is weather patterns, trying to predict a, a hurricane. And we see this all the time, right? You see hurricane seasons coming up and then, you know, we're trying to predict a hurricane coming up the East Coast from, you know, the West African coast. And, you know, those patterns begin, they look like a spaghetti chart, right? You have American models, you've got the European models, and they continually generate these models because they can't do them real time. Because computational power isn't there to be able to take all this data in from this complex model and produce a real time model that gives you any degree of confidence that you can predict where it's going to go in less than 24 hours, right? So think about that for a moment. Classic quantum computing is going to enable that kind of real-time prediction, right? Because it operates in a three-dimensional sort of space, if you want to say that, right? It's not just a one and a zero, but it can be a one and a zero at the same time. And it's a little bit of a mind bender because you try to think about how something can be in the same state at the same time, two different states at the same time. But fundamentally, that's quantum physics. And that additional state allows you to be able to do things in a highly complex way that are going to surpass what classical computers can do. But they're not, we're not there yet, right? So that's the, that's the other conundrum about quantum computing. It's moved from the, the theoretical into the practical, or it's moving into the practical. People are actually building quantum computers. We haven't really achieved what we'll call quantum advantage yet, meaning that quantum computers are outperforming classical computers. But we are one, two, maybe three years away. Some people think maybe a little bit longer, but it's going to happen. And once we cross that threshold, it's going to change the way we do computing all the way around. Well, it's interesting. You talk about sort of a mind bender of things being in two states at the same time. You know, quantum physics is, is, is something else I've never fully been able to get my hands around. So how does all of this, quantum physics, quantum computing, how does this impact the average person out there? I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's one thing at the, at the high ends of, of physics and the high ends of technology, right. but what about like Joe and Jane business person? Why, why, does, why do we care? You sh- and and it, that's a great question. And that's exactly what our business is about. So, and I'm not here to sell you our business. I'm here to tell you why. It's a, there's a business case around this, right? So those problems, even that we talk about weather patterns, well, okay, if you can predict a better weather pattern, you can get better crop production, you can get better, you know, reduce insurance losses, you can do things up and down that spectrum, right? The average, I don't know what the average hurricane um, uh, destruction value is in terms of the losses received there, but it's billions of dollars in, in, in the worst case scenario, right? And hundreds of billions of dollars in some cases. And if you can get better weather, weather prediction, well, you can do things like adjust supply chains. You can make sure that the inventory to recover from those hurricanes is there. You can reduce, you know, shift populations around so people can get out of the path of the hurricane far more in advance than you can do today, right? Because today, like I said, it's a, it's a tw- maybe a 24-hour window before you really know what's going on. So that's one element. Logistics and supply chains. Supply chain, we just, we just experienced the pandemic, you know, we, people talk about it being unprecedented. Well, it really was an unprecedented, you know, event in the United States and the world. And supply chain impact was not inconsequential, right? I mean, you remember the run on toilet paper and, and paper <laughs> towels, right? Um, sounds, yeah, it sounds kind of funny, but at the end of the day, it's, it was something that really impacted people, right? And, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't funny if you were the person without toilet paper. That's fortunately, exactly right. 
Fortunately, my wife happens to buy them in bulk and before the pandemic had just happened to buy one of those big packages. There so, you go. so we were okay, but it wouldn't have been funny if you were the person with half a roll. That's right. Well, and then trying to predict where that's going to, you know, that, that, that's just one supply chain and you have fruit and you have other, you know, products and things that are necessary, all the cleaners and things like that. Well, those supply chain issues were, were, were paramount to people. Um, quantum computing is going to get better at being able to predict where the supply chain uh, uh, discrepancies are, where there's going to be shortages and how you can manage those things better. Because the complexity of a supply chain, the, wherever you think about having many, many variables and constraints that can go into a problem, right? So a supply chain problem that's get impacted by a pandemic and take this, take the toilet paper or the, or the um, paper production, uh, you know, for, for uh, paper towels. Somebody has to produce that stuff. Those supplies have to come from someplace. Somebody has to drive those things there. The gas has to get into the truck to be able to drive it. Somebody's got to, you know, make the paper that's ultimately going to be produced for paper towels and toilet paper. All those things that go into that have some variability into it. And it might be that the pandemic is hitting southeast part of the United States where they're really producing the pulp for that kind of paper. It gets impacted. So people aren't showing up for work where they need to be showing up for work. And then the drivers can't get to the trucks because they're homesick or the supply chain can't get to the, the gas station. So they can't produce. So you think about all those intricacies and generally speaking, you don't realize what's going to happen until it's too late. Quantum computing is going to contribute to the ability to be able to be much more predictive about those types of outcomes. So it's interesting because, you know, what you're talking about really does come down to, to, to impact everybody. But as you said, it, it's not there yet. It's still a couple of years away before, before this happens. When quantum computing takes over and this ability for the, the higher level, you know, computing systems to be able to predict and be able to do all of this modeling. And you're just talking about one piece of this. I know it'll touch so many more right. things. How does it really change our society? Well, you know, so there's a, that's a very, that's a great question. And there's a good moral answer on that one, I think. Um, so let me start off with the more practical aspect of it. You probably will notice changes very quietly, right? You're never going to do without a classical computer. You're not going to see a quantum computer on your desk, right? <laughs> I'm looking at my laptop. This, at least in our lifetime, it's not going to be that size. Maybe you're going to live to 150. I'm not going to probably make it that far, but let's put it, it's not going to be on your desktop. Um, but it's going to be in the cloud and it's going to coexist with classical computers because classical computers are always going to do things better that they can do. And quantum computers are going to be able to do things that they can do, but they're going to wind up some, you know, causing this relationship together. That's going to provide orders of magnitude, better capabilities that people are going to start noticing maybe faster results on searches, maybe more intelligent results returning back on a search, right. Or, you know, big box companies are going to be able to really know what you want to do because they're going to be able to predict based upon the things that you've just done over the past 24 hours, what your next needs and desires are going to be, right? So there's going to be things that you're going to see speed up automotive and technology. We talk about autonomous driving vehicles, pretty complex thing to think about a car going down the roadway and having to make a decision about somebody passing somebody else coming on and deciding that that car is going to be able to shift back over into its passing lane rather than coming to a screeching halt, right? A human can do that. Think about that. You're driving down a two-lane highway, somebody's coming at you, they're passing another vehicle, and you're kind of estimating how car, how fast that car is going. And you're saying, I wonder if I should jam on the brakes here because that guy's not going to be able to make it back in that lane or I'm going to be okay. That's a pretty tough judgment call. Autonomous cars are going to have to be able to do that. And for you to have the confidence that they're going to be able to process that information as quickly as they need to, to make that judgment call without slamming on the brakes, 
that's a lot of confidence. So there are things like that that are going to happen. And, you know, and then you start talking about, okay, AI. You brought the AI piece up. And, and quantum computing is not AI. Quantum computing is going to enhance the AI capabilities because it's going to be able to process better, more complex data. Then you start talking about those moral judgments of when does, when does society become so dependent upon technology? And this has nothing to do with quantum co- computing. This has to do with everything about the technological revolution that we've been going through over the past 30 years. How much do we give to technology versus we give to human judgment? And, you know, what's the ethical bounds there in terms of an AI? And you probably have heard this example. Part of that autonomous vehicle is, um, geez, I know that I'm going to survive that crash if I crash into this softer target over here where these people are standing on this, or I'm going to go head on into a wall and I won't survive, but I'm going to save those five people. Um, if assuming you could make all that judgment in, in, a, in a split second about which choice you're going to make, a car could probably make that judgment pretty quickly because of the ability to process from all the different sensors that it has. What judgment do you want it to take? Kill the passenger or survive the passenger and potentially kill somebody else on the other side of that. Those kind of judgments, that's just, I mean, it's mind boggling when we talk about stuff like this, but those are the kind of things that artificial intelligence and advanced computing potentially have the power of doing over time and enhanced computational capabilities are going to enable those types of complex decisions. Wow. Now I'm sitting here thinking about the moral dilemma of, of what's the right answer for the computer to make. That's uh, that that that's big stuff. So in your introduction, as we were talking about your career, and 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 also in the introduction, we talked about the fact that you've always worked around really smart people and brought together teams that really help people solve some really complex issues. And that's clearly what you're doing with this company. Mm-hmm. So how important is it to have the right people around you? Oh, it's a hundred percent important. And you know, you probably people ask, you know, we are looking at a public company, you know, what, what's, you know, when you look at your assets, what are the, what are the key assets you have? You know, well, it's cash obviously, but it's people. And, you know, and we have a tendency to say, well, people are your most valuable asset. And it sounds like a trite expression sometimes, but in our case, the human capital piece of this and the the ability for people to be able to work together, solving problems in in a space where it's a highly intellectual environment and, and, having to do it in a way and in in particularly a new environment like this, with this new technology being applied, um, you have to really have good, smart people around you to be able to figure that stuff out. And they have to be really unique at taking risk, not knowing that what they've done is probably not been done before. Right. So they have the risk of failure. They have the risk of maybe not getting it right. They have, you know, all those things that go into that. So you don't have that intellectual feedback all the time of saying, geez, I know this is a hard problem, but I know I can solve this problem because it's been done before. Some of these problems have never been solved this way before. So they have to have that, that additional edge of being able to be risk takers and trying to really desire to, 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 um, to take that, that uh, challenge on. And it's not as, you know, so we try to provide a safe environment for people to do that. And hiring the right people and hiring the smart people are really, it's not just smart, right? We talk about this all the time. You can have an intellectual capacity of 170 IQ, right? But you may not have the business drive or the work ethic to be able to, to you know, produce what needs to be produced at the end of the day. So, you know, it's not just hiring smart, it's hiring the right qualities of people too. So one of the things I did during the pandemic uh, for my own career, I made most of my living as a professional speaker, speaking at company meetings and associations for 10 years previous to 
2020. Uh, and I watched my entire business go to zero for about six months when the events yeah. business dried up and everybody thought there was a lot of online virtual things happening, but it wasn't nearly as much as people thought and certainly not as much as there was in the, the live event space. So to help sort of resurrect and, and, and rescue, for lack of a better term, my career, one of the things I did is I made it a personal habit or a personal ploy that every day I was going to talk to one really smart person. So I went through my Rolodex and I looked for the people who I admired inside my industry and in every other possible industry and just sort of scheduled calls, touch base, did the basic networking stuff, see how, saw how they were doing. But then I told them, look, the purpose for the call is I admire you. I think you're really smart. You know, here's my situation. What do you think I should do? And, and I'll be honest, most of the people had no ideas. Some of the people had dumb ideas, but over the course of well over a hundred of these conversations, five or six people had ideas that was like, wow, that that changes the trajectory of not just my career, but my life. And I've put those into practice. So, you know, you were talking about the fact it's not just about being the smartest person in the room. It's being able to, you know, sort through what's going on and, and be able to push out answers that become practical and, and usable. So working for a company that clearly, I mean, you, the company is up and running, but you're, you know, the, the, the success of the product is still down the road. How do you get your really smart people to be able to come together and and have you know some really good ideas, how do you get everybody working as a team to make sure that that there's not just a bunch of useless ideas being thrown out from smart? It's a great. It's, let me tell you, you know, you hit on the best question for any business to ask, you know, itself, right? So um, you got to talk to people who want to buy your product, who have the problems out there, right? Who's got the problem that they're trying to solve that you think you can actually contribute some value to? Right. If you're a solution looking for a problem, we all know we've all seen that before. Right. (laughs) But if you go out there and you try to talk to people about what problems are really hard problems for you to solve and can we help you? And you kind of you got to like you just did. You got to talk to a lot of people out there. You got to talk to people every day and say, you know what? We're not your we're not your solution. I'm sorry. I can't help you. And then pretty soon you find people who align with, you know, this is a hard problem. This is the type of characteristics of that problem. And those characteristics fit what we can do. And then you go for it. Once you find it, you latch onto them and you just say, okay, we're going to figure this out, you know? And, and that's what you got to do. I mean, you, you got to talk to people who are really in the field. And that's one of the benefits that I think I have had over the course of my career. And I think it's served me very well is you got to get your hands dirty. You got to roll up your sleeves. You got to be out there with people who are doing the work and you can't sit in your ivory tower thinking that I'm going to have a great thought and, you know, people are going to buy it. Right. Cause there's, Let's face it, there's a gazillion technologies out there today that are really, really cool technologies that never saw the light of day because they just never had people to execute it because they were, it was a good idea, but it didn't have a use to it, right? And, you know, they all, it's a cliche, right? The necessity is the mother of invention. Well, it's really true. If you talk to people out there that have problems, they don't have to be complex problems necessarily, but they can be important problems too. So I, that's what we've been able to do. We've been able to, and Again, and talk about alignment of people. It people have to be in that that mode, right? They have to be want to try to get that feedback. They have to be willing to fail. They have to be willing to try to figure it out, and and see if they add value. And they have to know when they don't add value and say, "Yeah, that was a that was a you know, shouldn't have done that. It was a mistake." So I'm seeing an interesting correlation, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. But in in the trajectory of of your career as a leader, I see that your time as a as a homicide detective probably comes in very handy in the type of work you do now building this company. Am I right? Uh, you know, it, it does. And not in a macabre way, but and actually in a human, you know, human way. Right. I mean, 
people are people. And one of the things I learned about the time I spent in the homicide squad was that, you know, you meet somebody who's dead and you got to try to figure out how they got there and you got to figure out who that person is. And you talk to people about them. You talk to one set of people, they're going to tell you that this was Joe Smith and this is who he was. You talk to somebody else, they're going to tell you it was Joe Smith and this is who he was. All of a sudden you come up with this composite of completely different people. You begin to realize how complex human nature is and what makes people tick. And, and then you, you can apply that to living human beings, right? We all see people, we, depending upon the circumstances and the, and the, you know, that we see them in, we're going to make a judgment about that. Not, not, I don't mean a negative judgment. I'm just going to, we're going to judge them in a certain way based upon those circumstances. But there's always more things going around about a human being than just the thing you see, right? And, and that's one of the things that I think is, you know, I've, been, I've benefited from, from that time on the street was you look at people for more than just who they are at that moment, right? You, you kind of try to figure out what makes them tick. And I don't mean from a judgmental way, all right? I mean, how am I interacting with that individual? What am I saying? You know, what should I be sensitive to? Or what, what do they mean by that, right? You don't make a single judgment on that. So it allowed me to see things in a more complex way and, and kind of interestingly, and I'm not trying to draw an analogy here, but the analogy to quantum computing is similarly a similar construct, right? It's not just a one-dimensional you know, bit and bite. It's not a one and a zero. It's a much more complex environment than that. And I think it, it gave me the appreciation of some of these complex problems that we're trying to solve today, because you see the interrelationship between a lot of different factors that make a person who they are. So going back to your question, that's what I learned from that experience that has been able to kind of help me make it through to, the, to where I am. So I've got a couple more questions for you, Bob. This is fascinating. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by, as they all have been for many years, Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Bob Liskowski. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Bob, if someone's listening to the show and, and they're leading a team, they're leading a business, what advice do you have for them on how they can lead a business while they're shaking up an industry, while they're trying to do something that hasn't been done before? Well, um, well, you know, the thing that, um, I, you know, by my own personal tenets is don't be afraid to fail, right? And I don't mean that in a, you know, sort of a capricious way, but, you know, be thoughtful about your failure. I mean, you know, willing to take a risk and making sure that the, the direction going into, you're, you're thinking about all the outcomes and, you know, even if those outcomes might be bad, you're going to go in that, you're going to do it consciously and you're going to be, you know, be prepared for it. I think, I think the other thing is what I find particularly with the team that we have here. And it's no different than anybody else I've ever led, but you know, I was fortunate to come up with a very special group of people. And um, you know, I think the best thing, the best advice that I've been able to follow is being transparent with them about where we are in the company itself. Right. So think about this past year as a startup and many people have been in the situation with the pandemic. We started, we came into 2020, you know, pretty well capitalized. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money, but, but like most startups, you have a runway about three or four months and you're going to raise some more money and you kind of continue to stretch that out a little bit. 
So we came into the we came into the year in 2020 with about maybe four or five months worth of cash. Pandemic hit, and then you know the plan to raise more money all of a sudden got put on hold, not not by our doing, right? And the world became very uncertain. So, um, you know, I had a meeting with everybody in the company. I'm like, okay, folks, listen, this is what we're doing. This is where we're at. And um, I don't know what it means, but, you know, this is the plan we have. We're going to have to cut costs. Our senior leadership team took a, you know, cut in salary, um, substantial cut in salary, just so we can continue to pay everybody else and continue to um, stretch it out. And we just went to work. You know, we just kept kept our head down. But I think the uh, the transparency and the ability to say that I don't that you don't know something, you know, even when that may be very difficult. And somebody asks you, well, do I, you know, do you think I'll have a job in six months? Like, I don't know. We're going to work hard for it, but I don't know what I don't know what that means. And um, yeah, I think that for us was a very bonding experience for the people who were around us at that time, and we got through it. You know, we got. Um, relatively modest PPP loan, but like everything, it turned out to be enough to give us a little bit more runway. And then we got back on the road to raise more money. We, we brought in more money because people believed in what we were doing and the, and the team came together and they didn't stop for a moment. They just kept working hard and they delivered everything they claimed they, they planned on delivering in 2020 right on time. So it contributed to our story. So I think you got to have faith in your people. You know, you got to be honest with them. Um, you got to be willing to admit that you don't know. You got to take risks. So two more quick questions. One is I used to call this show cool things entrepreneurs do. What's the coolest thing you're doing inside quantum computing Inc right now? What's, what's the coolest part about the company? Wow. Um, I think the coolest thing is, is being able to, um, well, that's a good question. I think one of the coolest things we're doing is being able to run both classically and in the quantum space at the same time. So we've created a software platform that allows us to be able to take the advantages of classical computing and run problem on a classical computer and run it on a quantum computer at the same time. And we can do that across a number of different quantum computers. That's no trivial feat. Um, And then we're able to deliver that to people who don't have any quantum experience at all. So we don't require to have any kind of quantum programming experience to be able to use our software. It is 100% end user focused. So we're trying to get that problem out there, you know, those solutions out there to people who really need those solutions. So I think that's pretty cool. No, that sounds very cool. And then, and then my last question for the layman out there, what's one thing we all need to know about quantum computing as we wrap up this interview? What's, what's the one thing about quantum computing that you wish everybody understood? It's going to be real. It's going to be a real technology and it's going to deliver real value. Um, and it's just a question of when, not if. Awesome. Well, if people want to learn more about your company, how do they find you? Uh, well, we're at www.quantumcomputinginc.com. Awesome. Well, Bob, so. thank you. Thank you so much for joining us here on Making Waves at Sea Level. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single Thanks episode. Time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we even do this show? Uh, I did start the show as my own way to access really smart people like Bob and get to have these conversations. But now almost 700 episodes later, turns out that it's been a great education for me and tens of thousands of other people who have listened to, to over a million downloads of this show, million and a half downloads of the show over the years. So thank you so much. Stick with me. Tell your friends about Making Waves at Sea Level. Every time I meet somebody who listens to the show and I say, how did you find my podcast? They say that their boss, their friend, their neighbor, somebody told them about it. So word of mouth, it's still powerful, even in this day of all the technology and all of the social media that's out there. Word of mouth goes a long, long way. So I'd appreciate it if you'd go and tell somebody. 
I'll wait. No, I'll just wait right now. You can go tell somebody. All right, thank you very much. We're going to be back in a couple of days with somebody who's making waves in business who is just as cool as Bob. And you're thinking, where will you ever find anybody as cool as Bob? But we do it twice a week right here on this show. In the meantime, go out there, make your own waves in business. Make sure that you're climbing your career ladder, but that it is against the correct wall. Don't climb to the top and find out you're in the wrong place. And while you're out there doing all of this, have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.